as we continue to worship God, hearing from his word and listening to that, please turn with me to James chapter 1. We're beginning our series in James for the next five weeks, and today we'll go over James chapter 1. In case you are visiting with us or you're new here, my name is A.K. Kuravilla. I'm the pastor for Discipleship and Administration, and uh, our lead pastor here, Kevin Barra, he's an amazing man, but even more important, he's a godly man, and he's our pastor here. He's just taking a break today. William Carey is often known as the father of modern missions. He wanted to translate the Bible into many Indian languages, as many as possible, so he set sail from England and came to India in 1793. He established a print shop and started his work putting numerous hours into translating, learning the language first, and then translating them into the local languages. Then in March, in March of 1812, he was away in another city doing some teaching. His associate, William Ward, was working late into the night, and uh, he just happened to smell some smoke. So he followed that and found that the print shop was on fire. This was 19 years after he landed in India. That was the amount of work that he had done. Now, no fire trucks in those days, so the workers started carrying water from the local river and trying to put out the fire, and nothing worked. The entire print shop was burnt. The next day, one of the, one of the workers went to meet um, Carrie uh, while he was teaching and then told him what has happened. They told him that the print shop burned to the ground last night. Gone were the sets of types in 14 languages, 55,000-odd printed sheets, 30-odd uh, pages of a Bengal dictionary that Carrie had compiled. All of that, 19 years of work, gone up in smoke. Carrie was stunned. And later on, here is what he wrote. The loss is heavy, but as traveling the road a second time is done with greater ease and certainty than the first time, so I trust the work will lose nothing of real value. We are not discouraged. Indeed, the work has already begun again in every language. We are cast down, but not in despair. How we face trials depends on how we view trials. And trials comes in all different colors, shapes, and sizes. Big trials, big troubles, small trials, small troubles. It might be sickness. It might be job loss. It might be financial distress. Uh, it might be disappointments. It might be frustrations. It might be conflict that just doesn't seem to go away. How should we face trials? What would God have us do when we face trials and troubles of all different kinds? And that's what James addresses as we go into James chapter 1. So, turn with me there. Now, who is James? Well, scholars tell us he's probably the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing, as it says in verse 1, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, and he greets them. And then we go to verses 2 through 4. Let's see what he says about trials. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says, consider it all joy, count it all joy, esteem it as joy. Take this as an opportunity for great joy. Treat it as something beneficial and good for you. Not just some trials, but all kinds of trials, he says, consider that as an opportunity and uh, for some sort of benefit to you. Therefore, an opportunity for joy. They can all be considered useful is what James says. Even if it is unmet expectations or unfulfilled dreams, whatever the trouble might be that we face, James says, treat it as an opportunity for great joy. Now that is a very different perspective, isn't it? We would say, consider it all grief when we have or face all kinds of troubles. I mean, that would be our natural response, but James is saying something completely different. Count it all joy when you face all kinds of troubles. Now, why is this good or beneficial? Why is this an opportunity for great joy? Because they test our faith, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, that brings up a question. How do trials test our faith? Now, here's how it works. Let's say there is some tension in a marriage. He wants to do it his way, and she wants to do it her way. There is no, uh, no, no giving and no taking. The two can't seem to agree. There's arguments, debates, anger, silence. It's a trial. You call it anything you want. It's a real trouble that these two are facing. And let's say you are one of them, and you come to church, and you hear the scripture reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So that's what you hear as God's viewpoint. Now here's the test. Do I have faith in God enough to follow his viewpoint? Do I trust God enough to follow his viewpoint even when I think I have a better way of handling this trial? This is how trials really test our faith. Will we trust God and obey him or will we not? And that's the test of faith. Then he says this testing produces endurance. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. If we endure, we will have this perfect result, which is we become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So trials test faith. Testing of faith produces endurance. Endurance makes perfect. And what is that perfect result? We become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We will become what God intends for us to become if we endure in a trouble. That's what he's saying. Now, this aspect of enduring to grow and develop, I mean, that's not foreign to us. If you want to get good at music, you endure days and hours and years of practice, whatever that instrument or, uh, or might be. If you want to be a good athlete, for example, that takes a lot of endurance, discipline, and practice over so many months and years before you become good at whatever you're doing. 
Now, this is graduation season. Uh, last Saturday, we were at the graduation ceremony in San Antonio. A dear friend of ours, uh, she was graduating from medical school. Uh, four years undergraduate work at Texas A&M. Two years of graduate work there. And then four years of medical school. That's 10 long years of endurance just to get to that point. It's not all over at that point because there's four more years of residency training before she can become complete and be fit to practice as a physician. Endurance is necessary for growth. Therefore, consider trials to be opportunities for good than occasions for grief. That's what James is telling us. So every trial is an opportunity to be perfect and complete. Now that brings up a question. What if I don't have the wisdom to figure out what to do? Because after all, wisdom is knowing what to do at the right time. What happens if I don't have wisdom? Well, James says that, verses 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, graciously, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So James says, if you don't know what to do, ask God. Ask God in prayer, ask God in his word, as we see, as he's revealed himself to us. He gives wisdom generously and graciously. He doesn't hold anything back. The only requirement, though, is that we come to him in faith. Now, how do we know we are asking God for wisdom in faith? Because if we don't come in faith, we're not going to get it. We know we are asking in faith when we come to him with a desire to accept what he says and follow him. That's the indicator of faith. So, how does that work? Let's say you're having a conflict with a friend. It starts with something relatively harmless. You didn't like or comment on one of her social media posts. It's pretty harmless. Subtle retaliation. Uh, she stops commenting on any of your posts. And then you say something. And in return, she posts something that sounds pretty harmless, but it's really intended to get at you. Anger, bitterness, a desire to get even. It is trouble. What do you do? Now you come to God. God, please help me. I need wisdom. What to do in this situation? I want peace. I don't want conflict. You pray and look into God's word. You open Ephesians 4.32 and read, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Now here's the real test of whether we're coming to God in trials, God in faith. Are we willing to follow what he says, even if it isn't what we want to do? Ask for wisdom with a desire to obey. God gives generously and graciously. Desire for obedience says we really trust God. And obedience indicates the temperature of our faith. I can say all day long, I believe, I believe, I believe. The real test, the real indicator is, am I willing to obey and follow what God says or not? So if we want help from God, we must come to him with a desire to follow his direction. If not, what happens? Verse 7, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So if we want the wisdom, God gives graciously, he gives generously. 
The only condition is that we come to him in faith, meaning we come to him with a desire to follow and accept what he says. Then he goes on, verses 9 through 11, to talk about uh, whether it be rich or poor, it really doesn't matter. Uh, and, and so he goes on from there to verse 12, says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is a blessing, there is a favor of God and rewards for one who endures trials this way. Coming to God in faith for wisdom to endure the trial. God favors and rewards those who persevere under trial. That is the point of view James is driving at for us to know. God favors and rewards those who persevere under trial. So the favor of God and rewards make this endurance really worthwhile and worth it. The reality, though, is sometimes I'm tempted to follow what I think rather than follow what God thinks. And where does this temptation come from? Is God really tempting me? Verses 13 through 18 answers that. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, passionate desires. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So God does not tempt anyone, James says. So temptations come from somewhere, somewhere else. He says temptations happen when we get carried away by our own passionate desire for something. So how does really this play out? How, how, I mean, how, how, how does this temptation really play out in my life? Let's say I'm reading Ephesians and come back to that same verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And let's say I'm really hurt by a colleague at work. I have no desire to be kind or tender-hearted. I mean, a, a natural uh, fleshly desire, if you will, to be kind, tender-hearted, or forgiving my colleague. So now, deep down within, I have two desires in conflict. I'm hearing God on the one hand, and then I have my own desires on the other hand. And these two are in conflict. So this is the temptation, my own desire. If I fulfill my desire, that's the temptation, it will lead me to sin, James says. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And if I follow God's desire, it gives me life. For example, here, James uses that same birth metaphor to go on to say in verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Giving into passionate desire that's contrary to what God desires leads me to sin and sin eventually to death. So passionate desires give birth to sin. God's word, on the other hand, verse 18, uh, gives birth to us who are first fruits, who are more Christ-like. He has given us life. That's the idea. So the word of truth giving birth to something versus our passionate desires giving birth to something. And that's what James is saying. God never tempts us. Temptation always comes because our desires are at play. 
In fact, he goes on to say in verse 17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting saddle. He is the one who gives us good gifts, and he is not the one who tempts us. Well, so what should I do when my desire conflicts with God's desires? I mean, how do I deal with that? Verses 19 through 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. He says, be quick to hear, two ears, slow to speak, only one mouth, and slow to anger. Why? Because the righteousness of God does not flourish in an environment of anger. So he says, don't react too quickly. That's what he's saying. When my desires are in conflict with God's desires, don't react too quickly. What else does he say? In verses 21 through 27, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. So he says, renounce all evil and everything that's contrary to God's desires. Renounce it, give it up. And in any trial, when our desire clashes with God's desire, he says, we ought to put that away because that's not God's desire. Instead, he says, receive the word of God in humility, the word that is implanted, which is able to save your souls. He says, receive God's word with humility. And you need humility to accept God's word. Particularly if I desire to go left, and God says go right, to accept God's word and move in the direction that he is asking me to move, I need a lot of humility because I've got to give up my desire to go in the direction that he's not asking me to go. It calls for humility. So how does that work? How can I, I get this word of God that is implanted in my soul to take root and grow? And how does it really work when it comes to uh, temptation? This works out, he says, in, verses, in, the, in the following verses, when we just become not just hearers, but doers of the word. So he says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. But once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So put aside all the evil and then prove yourselves hearers of the word, uh, he, doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Don't be foolish. Don't be misguided. Be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Now, if you just hear God's word, if you just listen to God's word, but not follow or not do, then you're like a person, James says, who looks into the mirror and just walks away and forgets what he or she looks like and doesn't do what it needs to be done as they see their own reflection. 
But one who looks intently at the perfect law, verse 25 says, the law of liberty and abides by it, that calls for doing, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So every trial is one more opportunity for us to be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. One more opportunity for us to be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. That's what James is calling us to do. So to persevere under trials then, to persevere under trials, we need to listen to God's point of view and follow God's point of view. This is how we can really count it and treat it as an opportunity for joy. Only if we want to endure. And to endure, we've got to come to him in faith, ask for wisdom, listen to his viewpoint, and then follow his viewpoint. This is the formula, if you will, for endurance as God reveals it to us. So how do we do that in our current trial? We can only do that if we cultivate two things. One, we've got to search for God's point of view in every trial. Whatever your trouble you're in currently, search for God's point of view. What does God call me to do in this particular trouble that I'm facing? And then follow God's point of view regardless of the situation. Regardless of what you feel, your friends feel, or your parents feel, whatever your spouse feels, follow God's point of view. And that is the doing. The hearing and the doing. The listening and the doing. That's what God calls us to do. That's how we persevere under trial. That's, that's how you keep enduring, keep enduring under trial so that we might become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. nothing. So, what does all that mean? How do we make it really concrete, uh, down to earth, so that we can go out of here and practice what we just heard? May I suggest one practical step to you? To step in the right direction. Think about a trial you are in right now. Think about a trouble you're facing right now. Take a moment, think about it. And here's an acronym, STEP. First, S for stop. Don't react when you encounter trouble. Whatever the trouble is, just stop. Don't react. Let's say you're upset with somebody. They didn't meet your expectations. They didn't do what you wanted, uh, wanted them to do for you. You're so tempted to give them a piece of your mind because that's your desire. That's what leads to temptation. What we're called to do, or a practical way of doing it, is just stop. Don't react. First step. Second, for a T. Think, what is causing this trial? Why am I so upset? Is that because I didn't have my way? Is that because I think my way is the only way? Am I upset because I so badly wanted something and didn't get it? And this other person didn't give it to me? Or am I upset because it's basically unfair? I mean, we can think about what is it that's causing us to react this way. What, what desire in us is causing us to react in an ungodly way? What makes it so hard for us to trust God and follow what he says uh, and, and, and rather do what we want? 
which God says is a problem. So think about what is causing this difficulty. E in step. Evaluate what is God's point of view. What is God's point of view? Let's say you're reading Ephesians again. And you hear, be submissive to one another with patience and tolerance to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Patience and tolerance to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, how does that really translate from listening to doing? Does it really translate or does it just settle in our head and does not lead to action? We've got to really think about that because this is God's word. All scripture is inspired. God breathed. And it is useful for teaching, for reproof, to show us where we're wrong, for training and for correction, for correction and training in righteousness. Right? So this, this word of God is inspired. So we've got to respond to it. And this is what he's calling us to do. So we've got to evaluate our listening and our doing, our hearing and our doing. Are we listening and then following through with our doing? Do we trust God enough to do what he says even when we don't feel like it? That's the real test. Will we trust God enough to do what he says even when we don't feel like it? Will we respond in obedience out of gratitude for what God has done for us? Or will we follow or insist that we have our own way? So in the trial you're in, name the specific action that you will take this week. Remember, receive the word that is implanted in our souls. That's our, that's, that's our encouragement. Receive the word that's implanted in our souls. Receive it with humility that says, yes, Lord, what you say holds over what I say. And P, for pray and proceed. Follow God's point of view wherever it might lead us. So here's a recommendation. I'd love for us to try this week. Three things. First of all, I will see every trial as one more opportunity to mature or to be perfect and complete. Every trouble that you have, say, I resolve. I resolve to see every trouble that I have as one more opportunity to be perfect and complete. And trust me, that's hard, right? Yours and mine, experience tells us. It's very hard to see it that way. But this is the point of view God is driving home for us. And after all, at the end of the day, how we face trials depends on how we view trials. So whenever I have trouble, I can have a trouble-centered view or a God-centered view. Those are the only two views that are possible, right? I can have a trouble-centered view. That means I'm just going to solve the problem to get rid of the trouble. Or I have a God-centered view where I do what is legitimate to solve the problem, yet I, I accept in humility what God has to say. So my actions and my reactions and my responses will then be in line with God's desire. So I will see every trial as one more opportunity to be perfect and complete. Second, in my present trial, if you're writing down, write it down, or if you're making mental notes, do that. 
Name your trial. I will endure right by following God's point of view, hearing and doing his word. Make that a resolution. That's what I'm going to do. In my trial, I'm going to listen to what God is going to say and do what God is going to say and I will endure right. I'll, I'll, I'll keep persevering. I'll endure this trial following God's direction. And then to make it very concrete, therefore, I will do this, whatever that might be, as you listen and as you follow, as you hear and as you do. What exactly will you do? And then pray that God would help us because God is our help means God is able to help me do that which I cannot do in and off and all by myself, right? That's why God is our help. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. He is the one who helps us do that which we cannot do. So pray for God's help and then proceed. Do that specific thing that you have jotted down, either in your mind or on paper. So all of us are either in a trial, maybe gone past a trial, but in a trial, or will soon face a trial. That's the stuff of life. Man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble, said Job. Trouble is part of life. How will we face it? In every trouble or trial, look for God's viewpoint and follow his direction. When we endure, we grow in maturity, we become perfect and complete. We experience his favor as a blessing. And we receive his rewards, the crown of life, as we read in verse 12. Now that is good reason to consider troubles as an opportunity for great joy. Count it all joy when you face various kinds of trouble. Father God, we thank you for your word that nourishes us, that teaches us, that reproves us, that corrects us, that trains us in righteousness. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings it home to our hearts. Lord, we pray for help. As a hymn writer, dear Father of, dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways, reclothe us in our rightful mind, in purer lives thy service find, in deeper reverence praise. Lord, we need to be clothed in our rightful mind and clothed, for, clothed with rightful desires as only you can do as your Holy Spirit works in us. Help us, Lord, to be humble and in humility to be able to accept your word that you have implanted in our hearts. Help us be obedient to you so that in all of life, our very lives may be acts of worship and you might be honored through all of that. Help us, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we do in our services, this is the opportunity for us to respond in prayer. So as the prayer ministry team comes forward, uh, let me invite you to come and pray. Perhaps it's a trouble or a trial that you're currently facing that you would love for somebody to pray with you about. Uh, maybe you're seeking wisdom Maybe that's something you'd like for somebody to pray, pray with you about. Maybe it's just something that you want to praise God with another brother or sister. Feel free to come forward and pray. God hears our prayer and God certainly does answer our prayer.